It's Roger Moore as Ian Fleming's James Bond 007. Five days ago, our spy ship sunk in the Ionian Sea. She was equipped with ATAC. Have we begun a salvage operation? We asked Timothy Havelock to secretly locate the wreck. He and his wife were killed by Hector Gonzalez. Police were able to identify Gonzalez by Melina, Sir Havelock's daughter. No one comes close to 007 when 007 comes close to you. Explosive. Exclusive. Trust you, Elkhart. For your amazement, this bond is for you. For your excitement, for your thrills, for your entertainment, for your eyes open. Oh, by the way, we haven't been properly introduced, Melina. My name is Bond. James Bond. Mr. Bond, you have shot your last bolt. We're not dead yet. only uh, this is one of the fan favorite uh, Roger Moore Bond movies and uh, had a lot of fun watching it I the thing is I've watched it maybe three times I think at this point I will say it gets a little long in the middle um, it's got a good, fun uh, beginning and a good ending. Uh, the beginning, it's, uh, uh, you know, spoiler alert, but yeah, he takes on uh, basically Dr. Evil uh, after he takes on, after he gets uh, trapped in, in a helicopter. And uh, um, it gets, the helicopter gets taken over by a remote control. So, um Bond has to get control of the of the uh, helicopter so he doesn't uh, doesn't die, and he ends up picking up um, uh, what's his name? I'll just say uh, uh, oh, what's Blofeld, Blofeld up, uh, who's got his cat, of course, and he picks him up on the wheelchair, 
in his wheelchair because he's been messed up from. I mean, I like the continuity. Uh, he's been messed up from the uh, neck injury. He still has a C-spine collar on from uh, Her Majesty's uh, from Her Her Majesty's Secret Service when he uh, got messed up on the. Uh, it was the the toboggan ride or whatever, and he, he uh, Bond flinged a, a branch and he partially broke his neck, which you'd think he'd be killed from that, but uh, he comes back, and, uh, spoiler alert, uh, he, he uh, and shows up at the end of Her Majesty's Secret Service, at, at, Her, Ma- at Her Majesty's Secret Service, and after Bond uh, has his wedding... He uh, has his assistant uh, shoot. Uh, he does. They do a drive-by shooting, and they they shoot uh, his wife, Bond's wife, and that, and that's how the movie ends. And uh, but this one kind of picks up with that storyline. Um, now the actor that they have playing Blofeld is mostly voiceover. You don't see Blofeld's face. Which it's too bad. I wish they could have gotten Kojak, um, Telly Savalas back for that scene. That would have been great. But instead, they kind of had to go with like uh, everything. Um, they couldn't get any of the original back- actors back, Donald Pleasance or anything. And uh, and once he picked them up, he you know he flo- he flies. Pond flies him around, and then he uh, he drops him off inside a. Uh, smokestack uh chimney and he goes flying down and it, it's pretty b- hardcore it's funny but it's hardcore brutal <laughs> which i guess you could understand since bond is uh you know his wife got yeah killed by him um but uh um the voiceover kind of sounds like um andy garcia <laughs> For some weird reason, um, but uh, it's a fun opening. So it's got some real stunt stunts going on there, and very, very. There's some. There's some. I guess they were doing blue screen back then at the time, or or not even that. It might have been um, projector screen. Um, still, but uh, yeah, fun. Still fun opening. Uh, I like that it brought back the continuity, and uh, with Roger Moore's Bond, and with that, I'll go into the uh, the storyline here. Um, it says after disposing of a familiar-looking face, <laughs> Bond is sent to recover a communication device known as ATAC, which went down with a British spy oh, with a British spy ship as it sunk. Uh, Bond must hurry, though as the Russians are also out for this device, of course. His travels on his travels he meets Melina Havlock, whose parents were brutally murdered. And uh, they show that, by the way, in the movie. Her, her uh, parents get killed on a yacht, or uh, not a yacht, but a, a boat, a nice, nice boat. Uh, Bond also encounters Aristotle 
Christatos and Milos Colombo. Each of them are accusing the other of having links with the Russians. Uh, Bond must team up with Molina, solve who the solve who the true ally is, and find the ATAC before it's too late. ATAC, of course, is the MacGuffin. Uh, so I'll go over the trivia. Oh, the, hold on, before I do that, there's some good quotes here. Uh, James Bond, entering a Greek, Greek confessional booth. Forgive me, Father. Father, for I have sinned. Q. Removing a priest disguise at Bond's surprise. And that's putting it mildly, 007. Your signals nearly sent Whitehall into shock. Do you know, so far, we have managed to locate 439 St. Uh, Cyril's in Greece? Heaven only knows which one of Chris Tato's look took the ATAC. James Bond. I know a well-informed person to contact about that cue. Uh... That's fun. I love I love that they have the quotes on this. Um, another one. The Chinese have a saying. Before setting off on revenge, you first dig two graves. Another. Uh, this is at the beginning with Blofeld. Blofeld. Put me down! Put me down! James Bond, oh, you want to get off? And then Bond drops Blofeld on a giant smokestack. All right. There's some more stuff, but I want to get to the uh, the gist of it. I highly recommend IMDb on uh, on this. Um, I'll go. I'll do a goof. Uh, the goof section. In Bond's assault on St. Cyril, uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it makes not the least bit of sense for the sentry not to choose any of the risk-free Sherwin options at his disposal. Viz, sound the alarm, but Bond's rope, instead of ripping out one anchor after another, or simply wait for Bond to complete his climb, then calmly empty his magazine into Bond's face, when he comes over the edge. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a big part of this movie is there's a uh, mountain climbing scene. It's some really good stunts on it where Bond's kind of ascending on this rope and uh, it's a huge like oh boy, it's a like it's one of those cliffs that jet out and you have to like really uh get like uh you know, it jets out like a uh at a 90 degree angle and you have to get kill go from under it and go around it to get on top of it um but yeah it's one of those where they just kind of you know again i'll read it again let's see uh in bonds assault at saint Cyril, it makes not the least bit of sense for the century not to choose any of the risk-free sure win options at its disposal uh sound the alarm Cut Bond's rope instead of ripping out one anchor after another, and simply and or simply wait for Bond to complete his climb. 
then calmly empty his magazine into Bond's face when he comes over the edge. So we'll go into trivia. Also, by the way, it's got the one of the best uh, songs out of the series for your eyes, eyes only. Um, hold on, I gotta read this movie on IMDb. There you go. Um, no, I don't want to sign in. By Sheena Easton, I believe. Sheena Easton. Who was Sheena Easton? She was something. I had a bit of a crush on her when she was pretty popular. She's, I believe she's Scottish. I think. And uh, because she's got that accent whenever they had it in interviews. But she, uh, one of the most famous Bond songs. I mean, and one of the f most famous openings for Roger Moore, like as far as the the title sequence of him being superimposed and um, pointing with the gun in it. It's like one of those that I'll always remember growing up with watching the title sequence. And uh, it's definitely solidified in our pop culture. I mean, it's one of the biggest soft rock hits ever ever made and and uh you know this this movie came out in 81 so you know you hear it on the radio every so often or like it's definitely a kind of a one of those songs you'd hear at the dentist sometimes or in an office setting back in the day <laughs> but it's so solidified in our pop musical culture now um but it's just it's really the the song and the movie are very of its time, and it's just a great... Like, I love when uh, the music of it's played here and there, like in the romantic parts, the play part of it. That's great. Um, I forgot who did the score in this one this time. As you get as you could hear, I think if I, I played the uh, preview, you, it gets pretty groovy. There's some groovy uh, music. Uh, being played in, in this bond, uh, but they do use some good uh, good music cues. Let's see here. I'll read the first one. In this movie's conclusion, Bond uses his shoelaces to create a Prusik knot, attaching himself to his climbing rope so he can ascend a mountain. This technique, which is indeed possible to do with shoelaces. That's pretty incredible. Was invented by Austrian mountaineer Karl Prusik, and is common among most climbers. The Prusik knot celebrated its 50th anniversary this year. Uh, the year, not not this year, but the year this movie was released. Um, having first appeared in an Australian mountaineering manual for rope ascending in 1931. Huh. Pretty. Pretty neat. Pretty incredible. Uh, let's see what else here. Only Bond movie to date in the official franchise not to feature M. That's a good point. Uh, 
it was the first Bond movie not to feature Bernard Lee as M, who had played the role in the previous 11 movie in the franchise. Lee died of stomach cancer on January 19, 16, 1981. That's sad. After the filming of this movie had started, but before his scenes were shot. Although Bernard Lee was dying of stomach cancer, he did try to film at least one scene in the movie. But in the end, it was too much for him. Oh, that's sad. And he had to bow out. Man, what a trooper. He died not long afterward as a result. Q's role in this movie was slightly expanded to fill the gap. As such, several scenes were originally in intended to include M. Uh were rewritten with Q. For example, the confessional scene. Uh, as a mark of respect, producer Robert R. Broccoli refused to recast, recast the role, changing the script to say that M was on leave. Uh, Climax, 1954, Season 1, Episode 3, Casino Royale uh, did not feature M. Also did not feature M. Hmm. Interesting. I think I might have seen that too. It's like the I think they called him Jim Bond in that or something. That's when they tried to do James Bond before uh before uh Sean Connery. Twenty three year old stuntman. I hope I'm saying his name right. Uh Paleo 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 uh Regini Regioni. Rijoni died during the filming of the bobsled chase. This was due to a poorly designed track. Uh, Rijoni uh, was not the only one to lose his life there, however. Wow. During an actual competition, another bobsledder was killed at the exact same spot. The track was later modified for a less severe, less severe turn. Wow. That goes to show how dangerous some of these things can be. I mean, I mean, if you watch any of these stunts in these older Bond movies, it, it's just they're dangerous. You're, you're messing with elements and variables at high, you know, uh, high altitudes here. A lot of these, like for example, the rope scene in this, the rope climbing scene. Like, oh, just watching that gives me the chills uh, but that's really sad uh, rest in peace he's 23 wow that's terrible rest in peace pa uh, Palo Rigioni that's terrible uh, a line of dialogue had to be cut from the opening helicopter sequence for legal reasons the bald man could not be called Blofeld huh as Kevin McClory uh, had won a court court case several years previous and owned the rights to the use of Spectre. And Ernest Stavro Blofeld, uh, unofficially disposing of Blofeld so early in this movie, was Robert R. Broccoli's way of telling McClory that the success of 007 did not depend on him. And he got rid of Blofeld supposedly once, once and for all. 
McClory produced and released the unofficial Bond movie, which I'll be watching next, I believe. Uh, never Say Never Again. Never Say Never Again. Never. Never Say Never Again. In which Blofeld was played by Ma Max von uh, Sydow. Classic. Legend. Um, may he rest in peace, too. Blofeld did not appear in the Eon produced Bond movie until Spectre 2015 after the rights matter was finally settled in 2013. The stunt of Bond falling off the cliff was dangerous. Uh, since the, uh, the sudden rope jerk at the bottom could be fatal. Derek Meddings developed a system that would dampen the stop, but Rick Sylvester recalled that his nerves nearly nearly got the better of him. Uh, from where we were, you could see the local cemetery, <laughs> and the box to stop my fall looked like a casket. Ugh. Oh boy. You didn't need to be an English major to connect the dots. <laughs> Oh my gosh. The stunt went off without a problem. Uh, no CG, kids. No CG. The epitaph. The epitaph of the opening scene of Bond's wife's tombstone is we have all the time in the world. His last words to, words to her on Her Majesty's Secret Service and the title song of that one. Yeah, it's it's neat to see Roger Moore's uh, uh, Roger Moore paying respects to her in this. Uh. Uh, begging Bond to spare his life, Ernest uh, Blofeld baffles viewers with this crypto with the cryptic line, "I'll buy you a delicatessen in stainless steel." It is reported that the phrase is attributable. To producer Robert R. Broccoli, who recalled accounts of 1930s New York mafia gangsters offering full-service details as a bribe to cohorts, complete with the stainless steel countertops. <laughs> I kind—I wish they expanded on the opening of the movie a lot more. Like I wish that was a more major part of the of the film than what it was, since it was. You know, it's the end of a, of that storyline. Sir Roger Moore's Vertigo. Vertigo made the rock face climax especially hard to hard to do. Uh, Moore has said that he took a small amount of volume. <laughs> wow, and drank a tall glass of beer before some of the scary climbing sequences. That's incredible, which helped him through the the close-up shots. Stunt stuntman Rick Sylvester performed most most of the work. Moore only had to dangle over a four-foot drop. Uh, and while Sylvester <laughs> uh, dangled over a twenty-four-foot drop. Yeah, but they really make it look like they're they're really high up. From what from what I remember. Moonraker was a huge financial success uh, that 
Uh, but the critics commented that the film franchise had become too focused on wild gadgets, outlandish plots, over-the-top villains, uh, and screwball comedy. As a result, producers decided to return to a more realistic storyline in this movie, using From Russia with Love and On Her Majesty's Secret Service as models. Yeah, totally. Uh, there's a lot of skiing in this movie. <laughs> there's a lot of skiing in... And skiing chases and Bond movies in general. There's like a lot. So, and this is, uh, this, you know, there's a scene where, you know, uh, they show in the trailer that where Bond skis off somebody's, uh, picnic table. And, uh, it's pretty good though. The stunts are pretty good, as always. Um, but yeah, there's always a lot of ski chase. And it seems like every other Bond movie, you know. Anyway. Therefore, this movie contains many story elements similar to those movies. The ATAC is, is similar to the Lector. Uh, Kriegler is similar to Grant. Columbo is similar to Karen Bay. And the winter activities sequences are, are similar to those in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And it's true because there's a big winter show uh, in the movie, just like that one was. So the parallels are there pretty good, or pretty well. But just like a slight, you know, slightly different in some ways. Uh, this is funny, but, uh, yeah, Maurice Bender uh, decided to include Sheena Easton in the title sequence because he thought she looked striking. Yeah, yeah, she did. Uh, after meeting her in person, he told producer uh, Broccoli, "I must have that. I must have that face." <laughs> However, <laughs> shooting Easton in the title sequence proved to be an, a problem, since Binder was in using soft light focus in a very high resolution film stock, and extreme close-ups of Easton's face, the smallest, most imperceptible. Head wobbled, head wobble, would blur the, her image on the film. Yeah, you got to be really still with that kind of deep, the shallow depth of field. Uh, yeah, you only have like this small area to focus the the lens on. I think Binder finally had to resort to putting Easton's head in a steel clamp, <laughs> which kept her head perfectly still. Uh, the the tongs of the clamp were hidden in her hair, with the with the support hidden behind her back. It was almost it was the most painful thing I've ever worn. Easton later recalled, but he got my face in seventy millimeter. She, she said that with a, a Scottish accent. She might I don't, I'm not sure maybe she's Welsh, but she got my face in seventy millimeter. <laughs> that was not Scottish. Uh, a major problem occurred during production which threatened threatened to stop the filmmakers filming the monks who lived in the monastery on top of the uh, Meteora Me, yeah, Meteora mountain placed pl plastic sheets and plastic on top of the roofs and external infrastructure so as to halt filming they allegedly did not like the violence associated with James Bond. 
That's great. <laughs> Reportedly, Sir Roger Moore <laughs> told him that he had once been a saint. <laughs> Referred to the Saint 1962 uh, show, that show he did. A special hearing of the Greek Supreme Court was con- convened where a panel of judges decreed that the monks only had rights over the the interiors of the mountaintop monastery, but the exteriors were the domain of the people and the local local government. Uh, the movie crew was eventually able to film at the location, which included a gigantic fall by stuntman Rick Sylvester. They did not film inside the monastery, known as uh, St. Cyril's, uh, in this movie, uh, but built a set on top of a neighboring rock for some of the hideout's exteriors. The interiors were filmed back at Pinewood Studios on a set designed by designed by, by Peter Lamont, and I know which what they're talking about. There's a big gunfire shootout, uh, which, uh, it, you know, a bunch of hallways and stuff. It seems very Hollywood-ish. Uh, definitely you can tell it's a, a made set for this movie. Um, this movie saved United Artists from financial ruin. At the time of this movie's release, the movie was still reeling from uh, Michael uh, Cimino's, uh, Camino's uh, Heaven's Gate, uh, 1980. Uh, an, antor- an notorious uh, $40 million dollar bomb that was about to force United Artists to file for bankruptcy. When this movie took a worldwide gross of $195 million, the studio was saved, and afterwards turned its focus towards blockbusters and less personal, and, and less on personal movies. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot about that movie. I still haven't seen it. See, I, I should watch it, though. Uh, because it's so infamous. Cassandra Harris was, at the time filming, uh, married to future Bond actor Pierce Bronson. you got to remember, this was 81. So we're still in the early 80s. So Bronson was just kind of coming up to, like, Remington Steel. I don't think he was even on that yet. Bronson was offered the, the part five years later, but he was unable to appear as Bond in, in, the, living di- in the Living Daylights due to Remington Steel 1982 commitments. Yeah, so, just like a year after this movie came out, he was doing uh, Remington Steel. In the opening sequence, James James Bond visits his deceased wife's grave at Stoke Poges Church, adjacent to Gert Frobe's golf course from Goldfinger. Ah, the scene was written when Sir Roger Moore was considering retirement from the franchise. Interesting. Uh, To provide story continuity between different Bond actors, Ironically, the teaser scene had uh, has absolutely nothing to do with the plot of the movie that follows. 
leaving it more connected to earlier Bond movies than to the one it opens. I agree. I agree. Definitely. Yeah. It was it's it's still I'm glad I'm glad it's in it. But, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Steven Spielberg had been very much interested in directing a James Bond movie in his earlier years, prior to Bridge of Spies in 2015, and he had, I remember that, the Bridge of Spies, I still haven't seen that one. Uh, he, he, had, he had talked to producer Robert R. Broccoli about directing one, but Broccoli told him he only wanted British directors to helm the film franchise. Shortly afterwards, George Lucas offered Spielberg an iconic hero of his own in the form of Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. 81 also came out this uh, that year. Wow. Director John Glenn stated that there had been some discussion of bringing back bringing back the Jaws character for a third time. I thought he was already in the I thought I thought they brought him he was in three movies already. Cuz he was in Moonraker, that was the last one he was in. And the one before that was uh What was one before him? Uh, I gotta think of them all in sequence here. Well, he was in uh, the first one he was in. I believe was the Spy Who Loved Me, and then uh, it was there's one even either before or after that. Um. Yeah, but I'm sure it, he was in three already. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty so. I think this is a a mess up. This so it would have been the fourth time. Um. But anyway, director John Glenn uh, said that they thought about bringing back Jaws. Eventually, the idea was rejected. They felt it did not fit the movie's more serious tone, and that's that is true. This one is it's just a lot more grounded. And because you know the parents, the Bond girls' uh, uh, parents get shot, and so it's an, a revenge tale. Uh, and Bond kills Blofeld in the beginning out of revenge, so that's a theme of the whole movie. And there's just a lot of like grounded uh, shootouts and. Um, you know, he meets these uh, other Greek allies that are uh, part of some kind of uh, group organization that uh, helps helps him out. And, uh, you know, there's a crossbow, crossbow involved in the movie, you know, and uh, 
Roger Moore kicks. There's an infamous scene of where he kicks this guy in the car. He doesn't help him out. He, you know, this dude that tried to kill him, and he just kicks the car down the down the cliff, which is a pretty you know hardcore scene there. You know, one thing's that. One thing that's cool about all these DVDs, you know, I don't have the special features version with these, but I have um, the commentary on each one. And a lot of the commentaries have Roger Moore talking on them, which is awesome. So I can't wait to watch the whole series with the commentaries again. I've watched some of them with commentaries already, but not all, I don't think I've watched all of them with the commentaries. See, there's just so much. I could go on and on and on about uh, For Your Eyes Only. And again, I always recommend the Hollywood Saloon um, for a really in-depth discussion of um, some some guys that really know uh, Bond and a lot more details than, than I know. Um, they go deep dive into into these movies. Um, and each episode is like two to three hours. So it's it's pretty incredible. If you can find them, the, the the Hollywood Saloon's only on iTunes, um, and I don't know how much longer they're going to be on there. But they're they're golden. They're really good podcasts. Highly recommend that you listen to them. Uh, John Jansen, is, I think, is his name. That he's one of the uh, uh, hosts on on there. It's these two guys. I forgot the other dude's name, but. It, they don't do the podcast anymore. It's he was doing another podcast, but he hasn't done a podcast in in years. And he covered like all the Bond movies, and he's a huge fan. And then like he he didn't he didn't even put out like the uh, No Time to Die. He didn't even review that one, which I can kind of understand. <laughs> but uh, it's he's kind of a mysterious figure. After viewing Flash Gordon, another awesome movie, in 1980, the producers at one time wanted to cast not just uh, Topol Zarkov, which he's uh, the mad, I think he's like a mad scientist in Flash Gordon. Yeah, and he's in, in uh, one of the Greek uh, leaders, the, uh, for lack of a better term, the, this group that's helping out Bond, uh, one of the allies. Um, in this movie, but also Timothy Dalton, Prince Baron, as Bond, and Ornelia Muti, Princess uh, Aura, as Melina, even writing the part specifically for her. Wow, that's interesting. Dalton eventually became Bond in 86, after Sir Roger Moore retired from the franchise. do a couple more and then I'll wrap it up. I mean, I could scroll down. This could be so much longer. I mean, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, all the trivia. Let's see. Since flying a helicopter through a warehouse was thought to be too dangerous, the scene was shot using forced perspective. See? Not not blue screen or even uh, I'm sure there's a projector. Let's see. A smaller, mo smaller mock-up was built by Derek Metting's team 
closer to the camera uh, that the stunt pilot, Mark Wolf, flew behind. And this made it seem as, as if the helicopter was entering the warehouse. Gosh, you would never know. Because it looks so real. Like, so real. Does it? Wow. Let's see. The footage inside the building was shot on location. Uh, though with a life-sized helicopter model. Right. Which stood over a rail. Stuntman Martin Gray stood in as Bond with the agent... When the agent is dangling, dangling outside the flying helicopter, while Sir Roger Moore was used in scenes inside the model. Hmm. I'm just going to read that again. Let's see. His team close to the camera, and the stunt pilot Mark Wolf flew behind. This made it seem as if the helicopter was entering the warehouse. Yeah, it's very realistic. And to read that, a smaller mock-up was built. That's incredible. I mean, it still says that they used a life-size helicopter model. Um, yeah, because there's a scene where the helicopter's going through this warehouse, but it's very close. Like, it's very claustrophobic. There's not much room to maneuver. What they said, they... Uh, it was thought to be too dangerous. Seen as shot using forced perspective. That's interesting. See, you got to be a magician. Uh, show people what what you want them to see. Uh, the stunt double for Cassandra Harris, uh, Lissell, was injured when hit by the dune buggy in the beach scene. Ah, there's another scene in this movie. You know, they're talking about. Oh, it's like Her Majesty's Secret Service. Um, there's another scene in the movie where it's a beach scene, and that's what they're talking about. This dune buggy. Um, she gets killed. Another Bond girl just gets killed by this buggy. So I know it's what, what scene they're talking about. Um, they see that she got injured, uh, but uh, the stunt double did. Um, yeah, because there's, the there's a whole fight scene at the beginning of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and there's a, a scene on the beach where there's fighting going on in this. How neat. I never put that together till now. Till I pointed it out through trivia. On IMDB. Let's see if I can find a real good one to end this on. This one, this one's kind of a fun note. Um, when shooting the still for the movie's main poster, photographer Morgan Kane allegedly asked his model uh, to put the swimsuit on backwards as it had hung too low over her legs. Uh, after the poster had been released, some newspaper editors felt that it was too much buttocks, too much buttocks shown in the poster. To show less skin, the swimsuit was extended or shorts were added to the hips. In the posters, the original poster, 
caused outrage amongst various groups, uh, causing Saskatchewan to rate this movie Special X, despite being rated PG or equivalent virtually everywhere else. Uh, the rating was later lowered. Apparently, the model's identity was not known for some time. More than one model alleged that she was the owner of the legs, uh, but it was finally revealed they belonged to 22-year-old New York City model Joyce Bartle. But yeah, that's... Uh, um, other notes about the movie. Uh, there's another... Uh, good-looking blonde uh, Bond girl in this one um, that comes on to Bond, but uh, um, although I know she's definitely uh, older, she's older at the time of the movie. She's played uh, to be too way too young for Bond. You know, I thought it's just kind of a funny flip on the whole thing of every girl going for Bond, and it's like in this one, it's like. You know, she's meant to be played, you know, with a big age difference. And uh, and to see uh, Bond just kind of shoo her off is, is kind of different and funny. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and, and definitely the right thing to do. In that. <laughs> Let's see. That's the last one. This was the first Bond movie to be based on one of Ian Fleming's short stories instead of one of his novels. And interestingly, there were several scenes in this movie lifted from other Fleming tales. Examples, the assault on the smuggler's boat and warehouse was lifted intact from the story, short story called uh, Resisco. And the sequence featuring Bond and Melina being dragged through the coral was lifted from uh, the climax from the book, um, Live and Let Die. The identigraph appeared in a slightly different form in the book Goldfinger. So that's it. That's what I'm going to leave it at. Um, I think the next one will be uh, Never Say Never Again. And yeah, I'll... Uh, I'll see you guys back here, hopefully next year, um, for this one. Uh, I'm going to try to do one more podcast, but uh, for Christmas, and uh, everyone have a Merry Christmas. If I don't get to that, I, I, I should get to that. It'll be the final podcast of the year, um, unless I decided to do a New Year's one. I, I usually never do a New Year's. I usually do a Christmas episode, but that wraps it up for your eyes only the review the retro review of the james bond marathon for your eyes only.